The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 105 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus, along with my co-host, the CISO of Siena, Andy Benillo. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own. I'm not the my president or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence I've been privileged to have results in my current employment. And I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I personally hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB.com. So we had a great show last week with Jody Westby. And if you didn't hear it, make sure you go back and check it out, folks. It was a really great show. I mean, Jody's a professional blogger for Forbes magazine. Uh, she's a pro. She's got a ton of experience in, in various cybersecurity domains. She writes about it professionally, of course. And, and she was very, very interesting. She came on the show last week to talk about how the European Union is handling the challenges they face in the cybersecurity industry. So it's really you, you, interesting to sort of compare what's going on in the EU compared to some of the other areas of the world. And she unpacked the situation for us by explaining the current NIS directives, the EU Cybersecurity Act, and the requirements that are driving these initiatives. Westby also addressed these uh, initiatives in great specificity, and she broke it down great for us. And as they relate to other essential operators and digital service providers and what that actually means in plain English and in what is going to be of considerable interest here, especially to the folks at home here in the United States, is Westby opined on whether or not the United States should be paying more attention to EU cybersecurity initiatives, why U.S. companies aren't paying attention to the EU Cybersecurity Act, and she reviews the risk to U.S. domination of cybersecurity on the global stage. So everyone knows things change really quickly in this space, folks. And so Westby wraps up the third segment of the show by addressing what threats the NIS, NIS directives present to U.S. businesses, what impact directives will have on U.S. companies, and what U.S. companies could do to prepare for them. So really interesting stuff. I love the, the contrast and comparison to how people are reacting here in the United States, the things that are going on in the EU and vice versa, because it, it makes you think about uh, what's really going on and if we're doing the right thing or not and if we're on the right path. So it's a great episode full of valuable information. That's Jody Westby on episode number 104 of Task Force 7 Radio. Make sure you check it out. So if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, 
you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 radio episodes on playback. Just go to our new TF7 radio site at www.tf7radio.com and hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage, and you can find all the TF7 radio episodes at your fingertips. You can also search our guest library, which is the most impressive list of some of the most prolific cybersecurity professionals in the world, and we really believe that, folks. We really think that's where we have our advantage over some of the other great podcasts that are out there. And, of course, we have our news section as well where you can go and check out all the latest cybersecurity news. And, of course, you can write comments on all the different articles and interact with all the, the, the different people that listen to Task Force 7 Radio and the rest of the TF7 community, which is a lot of fun. So we're on at least 12 different playback mediums right now. I think we're on a, a more, even more than that. So we're really everywhere. We just made it easy for you to find them all, too. You can just hit the subscribe button at the top right of the homepage, and you'll see the entire selection of playback mediums. And most importantly, you can subscribe right to our show right from the TF7 Radio website which we think is really the best way to stay connected to the TF7 family. This way you'll get all the TF7 radio updates right from the site. And as the site gets more robust, you get notified about TF7 extras and Encore episodes. I think we're going to post an Encore episode this week. It's going to be a big week, I think, this week for us. And we got some really, really cool guests coming up. Our, our, our guest pipeline is second to none, okay? It's going to, it's going to be awesome. All right, it's totally badass. I can't wait for the next few uh, months to come up here. And it's, it's going to be incredible. So check us out, folks. www.tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So we got a really interesting guest here tonight to talk about everything cybersecurity, really, and, and tell us a little bit about his life and his experiences as he's been out there making it on his own now for about five years. And uh, he's been in the business for about 20 in technology and cybersecurity. So Mark DeRyke is going to join us uh, today. I'm, I'm sure I mispronounced this right name. I, uh, I can't really uh, roll my tongue like the way it's supposed to be pronounced. But, um, you know, Mark has been in the cybersecurity business for maybe 20 years. Uh, you know, he grew up in the Netherlands and he was recruited into information technology at the age of 18. Um, and over the last two decades, he's worked for commercial and government organizations across Europe and the Americas. And more recently, he's been driving his own business for the last five years. And he's currently focusing on helping clients develop application security strategies for their business and he's also a board advisory practice. Uh, uh, he also runs a board advisory practice to help boardrooms gain better control or, over their organization's cybersecurity posture. So, we're very lucky to have him on the show with us this evening, folks. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show cybersecurity mentor and board advisor, Mark DeRike. Mark, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the invite. Yes, um, it's, it's a pleasure to, to be your guest today. Um, it, it's um, yeah, something that I've been meaning to do as in um, join um, other people um, and, 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 you know, help the community. Um, so I'm finally out of my shell in that sense and uh, joining you as a guest today. So Mark, you've got a lot of things going on. I'm really happy to have you here this evening. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the projects you're currently working on. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So, um, yeah, I'm, um, yeah, I've been um, self-employed or self-contractor, consultant, whatever you want to call it, um, SME. 
Um, for the last, I would say, five and a half years, I've been historically working a lot on security operations centers. I used to work for ArcSight, or then it became HP ArcSight. We used to build security operations centers, and the last few years, I've been focused mainly on cloud security and application security. And so currently, I'm helping a, a very large enterprise um, put a, in place a application security strategy that will help them A, be more agile, and then also then uh, in the process of being agile, uh, get more secure as well, uh, which is, uh, yeah, of course, quite a challenge as everyone in the profession, uh, I know the bigger organization gets, uh, the harder it gets uh, to, to, let's say, move the needle. Um, but when you do get to move the needle, it, it's extremely gratifying. So um, knowing that, yeah, I'm, I'm in a way uh, able to uh, help move the needle in such a large organization is always uh, yeah, nice. Um, it makes all the long hours worth it. Yeah, so being on your own is not an easy thing to do. And making that transition out of um, basically a full-time job to you know, fully supporting yourself and running these businesses is really, really difficult. And obviously you feel really important or you feel really strong about giving back to the community. Can you tell us how that you know, played into your decisions to go out on your own and run your own businesses? Yeah, so I have this, uh, uh, some might call it a silly goal, but I have this thing there. I, I had it since I was a teenager, really, to be honest. I have this crazy goal to help uh, educate one million people, um, which is like a, a, a already a massive number as it is. Um, so what I did is that I've been, it was like, okay, you know, look at my talents and what am I good at? <laughs> It's like, oh, you know what, this computer thing, uh, uh, yeah, I started young, I started when I was nine, um, um, and, you know, like this security thing, like, um, people don't seem to really know about this, so maybe that's like, you know, my thing to pursue. Um, so, yeah, I started professionally, actual professional professionally at, at 19, um, and then, um, yeah, of course, you know, you, you try the, the, the normal corporate career um, for one reason or the other, that's didn't really work out for me because I, I, my career in a way came to a standstill. Um, I did really interesting projects and for instance like one of the largest projects I did positively influences the life of 16 million people on a yearly basis. So I've done some really cool stuff but it was one of those things where career-wise I was like okay this is not helping me get to the point where I can actually educate one million people um, to how to be more secure, uh, which sounds weird because, you know, we're talking about 60 million people. So <laughs> um, what it is with that is that because I I'd started to work for myself, I could like design my own direction uh, in a sense. And was like one of the things that, that, that I was always on my mind. It's like, uh, as though everybody in professional know, it's like it's 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 very hard to find alignment with 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 people further up the organization in the management tree. So uh, yeah, I've been working towards that um, um, intentionally and non-intentionally over the years. It's like oh, you know what? Um, I have to you know find a way or direction to um, yeah help boards get more in control because in the end and the reason why I'm doing that again is as a community thing is that if I can facilitate and help boards to get more in control then they can better 
ensure that the organizations that are, are governing as a, as, a, as a board member are more secure, which means that they then can secure the, you know, the, the legacy of their organization, which means that people get to keep their jobs and such. And then um, doing so, um, I can influence a higher number than I can influence further down the organization, if that makes sense. Yeah, that top-down approach, right, for sure is is great. And obviously coming on the show is a big deal, right? You're hitting a good chunk, you know, with our audience here. So it's, uh, I love the goal. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's like, you know, some days, you know, you wake up and go like, okay, like, what did I get myself into? Uh, But then, you know, other days you go like, oh, you you know what, you know, you sign up for this journey and, you know, like not, not every day you move forward, but, but you also can't give up because it's one of the things that I've been having, you know, daughters, I go like, you don't want to like give up because then, you know, you all you sacrifice in the process is for nothing, uh, as if for nothing. Um, so yeah, you just have to keep failing forward. Yeah. But being in charge of your own fate is a really, really special thing. And I think a lot of people envy that, uh, what you do every day is you do something noble, you do something that's good for the community um, and you're very successful at it at the same time and you're in charge of your own destiny really. And so I think, you know, that really resonates with a lot of folks, especially in information security where people are just, you know, working, you know, 12, 13 hours a day, um, you know, really just, especially in operations, it's almost like they're on, they're on 24 seven and they never get a, get a break. And, uh, they're always at the behest of someone else yeah. and they work at the behest of someone else all the time. And there's these really big problems out there. You mentioned a little bit about some of the um, problems that we're having and, and some of your desire to help solve some of the big problems. Like these, these are yes. big problems yes. that we have, reaching mass amounts of people. And as you know, we have this huge uh, talent crisis in cybersecurity. Yes. And so yes. I'm interested to get some of your thoughts about how we can solve the, the, the shortage of uh, talent that we have coming and actually the exodus of talent that we've been talking about out of information security actually over the last few episodes. So... You know. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that, that's a good one because, yeah, that's one of those things I feel passionate about. So, for instance, this week, for instance, I'm, I'm, I'm attending a, a university career event uh, locally here in London um, to, to help uh, potential, you know, aspiring students gauge whether um, how uh, they can enter cybersecurity as a field and also give them realistic expectations on on. on what they can expect and what they can't expect and then how to best approach that. Um, I, I do that every year. Um, I actually try to get involved with more universities, but yeah, the funny part is I'm a non-formally educated person. I only did high school. Um, so sometimes those institutions can be hard to crack for somebody that's just trying to do the right thing, quote, unquote. Um, so yeah, um, it's just one of those things where Shortage-wise, one of the obvious things that I'm not going to be the only one preaching that is that, you know, you look at veterans, you already have veterans that are used to, you know, performing in in, in this looping manner. Um, those are already ideal targets. Um, then, of course, on the other hand is where you have, let's be honest, uh, we all know this, uh, a lot of uh, drudgerish uh, tasks where you go like, um, it, it's, it's really routine. Um, it's not necessarily exciting, but for a, 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 um, a person on the spectrum, actually, um, that routine might actually be interesting 
Um, so I know there's also initiatives on, on, on that to um, have people in the spectrum that actually deal with more unemployment uh, percentage-wise to get them into uh, IT roles in general, but also cybersecurity roles. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to do my little bits, uh, but of course this is also, generally speaking, why I'm, I'm trying to grow the business because then, of course, over time I can bring more people in, which means that I can focus more on, let's say, evangelizing security, uh, because I think one of the things is that um, a lot of security awareness, and again, you know, like we all kind of like feel like, you know, there's a big return on investment as in it's relatively cheap and, 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 and moves the needle the most, quote unquote. Um, but I think one of the missing steps as well is that if you go back and, and focus on educating families as well, um, which is another pressure of mine, I, I have too many in that sense, <laughs> is that um, you relate security to um, you know events in their own family life that means that then people family members take that improved behavior as well into the workplace um, but yeah those are all big problems and I don't know like maybe I attract big problems so <laughs> big you, know, problems. you know what I love about what Mark's saying with regards to you know go to the universities and, and you know, him not having a formal education right in a certain degree but I love that because it shows that it doesn't always matter, right? We talk about the certifications, we talk about your higher learning, right? But yes. it's, it's, you know, it's the grit, right? It's getting in there, having the passion, the heart, the, the drive to want to learn, to want to make a difference and to want to be a part of it. And I think that goes, you know, it doesn't get stated enough, you know, so I mean, kudos to you for getting out there and putting yourself out there. Um, you know, try yeah, to- yeah, and to be fair, not to, to make myself bigger, you know, like I, I, I understand I have a big chip on my shoulder, as uh, I think the American paraphrasing is, uh, where you go, like, oh, yeah, you know, like people didn't expect me to succeed, so I have to I work 10 times harder to show that. But this is also why I get involved in universities because when I, I still lived in the Netherlands because I moved to the UK, I think six years ago, something like that. Um, I, I particularly focused on mentoring, um, um, not necessarily even minorities, but basically underprivileged uh, children. So I would like help them get set up and like buy a laptop. And of course, that doesn't need to be the latest laptop because if you, let's be honest, if you, in a situation where your family can't even afford to buy a laptop, which might sound alien to a lot of us in the profession. Um, and then you have somebody that that is able to you know sponsor you with with the laptop and then some guidance and some books. That's already a massive step forward. And I'm yeah, that mentoring is just so important because I'm I'm in a way I want to pay it forward because I was able to get to where I am right now uh, because I had a neighbor that that you know uh, took interest in me from 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 my education perspective and helped me. Um, yeah, get familiar with computers. So, you know, I was able to, yeah, establish a career that way. Yeah, I think it's amazing how you shape your future on some of the past experience that you have, your future decisions and where you go and, and based on what's happened to you in your life. And you clearly have done that. And look, don't don't underscore what you've accomplished here in terms of being able to not only operate in this huge cybersecurity space. It's very complex. It's a very complex yes. space. Probably one of the most complex domains out there in terms of, our, our workforce and also the fact that you're able to do it without any formal education because like I tell you right now 
There's a yeah. lot of people out there that have tons of formal education that are listening to this right now and saying, you know, damn, <laughs> you, know, what, you know, and having that self-reflection because they want to get someplace. And I know, you know, they're struggling because people do. That's what people do. Everybody, everybody goes through struggles yes. and, and challenges. Yeah. If it was so easy, everybody would be doing it, right? Of hey, course. Yeah, and then to be fair, you know, like there's no like you know like my my lucky break because of course there is some luck involved. My lucky break was that I I yes I lived in a not so nice neighborhood uh, to keep it uh, clean. <laughs> um, uh, we had gangs and everything that kind of thing, um, and um, I I was fortunate enough that I had a neighbor living in a building that had a home office or I should say a apartment office because it was office that was based in the building um, that happened to work at the time when um, in the, the, the computer center was still called the calculation center. I'm not sure I'm trying to show my age here, but um, <laughs> so he was the director of the computer center for let's say the Dutch version of AT&T or Verizon or whatever um, the original telephone operators in the UK in the US. I, I forgot which one it is. Um, so yeah, I was lucky in that sense that I, I got my break that way. And then I was like, okay, but still, you know, I, I don't necessarily have the networks to, to, to rest on, uh, as in like depend on. I mean, you know, like I'm not an Oxford Cambridge graduate that comes out and, you know, I just call somebody and I got a job. So I was like, okay, you know, like I got this break. So because I got this break, then it means that I have to push on because otherwise that break was for nothing. Um, so over time, you know, like, you know, the Malcolm Gatwell, I know the $10,000 rule is, is disputed, but um, I, I easily spent over 10,000 hours educating myself in, in my teens slash early 20s. Um, and then to be fair, as, as, as everybody in the profession will know, is that cybersecurity is constant education. So... Um, um, this is an audio podcast, but literally I have a, 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 a whiteboard behind me. <laughs> um, I have a Kanban board. Um, I have subscriptions to multiple uh, education tools like a Safari, um, books and such. Because, yeah, there's no stopping in cybersecurity. You know, we were talking about containers, you know, a lot of the people containing this. But then, you know, you're also doing research, for instance, in serverless because in the end, you know, we're, we're going to a serverless model and then it's low code and no code and... Yeah, that there's no stopping really. It's like a modern day good uh, will hunting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, just I don't know. You have to, you know, keep improving. And and to be fair, and this is where I've gotten better at is that I'm better at self reflection, as in looking at my weaknesses. And my weaknesses definitely are in the soft skills. So actually, I'd like to. My definition of soft skills is the other way around. The soft skills for me are. You know, the techie stuff and then the hard skills for me are actually um, what, what other people call soft skills. So you've been in this business for two decades. You've seen a lot. Obviously, you talk to a lot of people. That's your business. How yes. much progress do you think we've made in the cyber, in cybersecurity domain over the last, you know, 20 years? I mean, are we, are we making enough progress here? Or what are we doing? Well, yeah, th th this is where I chuckle. Um, um, it, it, you know, you, you, there's two ways to approach it. You can become really depressed about it and say, no, we're not moving forward. But how I see it is that, let's be honest, like five, six years ago, if we're talking about a boardroom, they would even say, you know, why are we talking about cybersecurity? 
that's somebody that's an issue for somebody in the basement without being derogatory because I've been in that basement myself you know I've worked on help desk and, and, and all that stuff um, you know there's a funny you know sideline there there's um, an IT crowd which is was a UK series which a lot of people probably know and you know, I, I got to the point where almost like I had a recorder that played the message that did you try restarting computer um, so Remember, we coming. We're at a place where generations growing up are digitally native, while I'm of a age that I still had people in my class at the time that that never saw a computer other than in in a classroom. They did the whole concept of mobile phone was was alien uh, that kind of thing. So. Yes, we didn't make that much progress in, in, in security, but we made that much progress in, I would like to call it digital diversification, as in we put digital tools in, in the hands of more people. In the end, that's empowering, you know, we, you know, if you're talking about political stuff like, you know, like Arab Spring and such, digital tools gave people more immediate feedback mechanisms for society. Um, so, in a way, you know, you can see that the security from as well, because you know we're not talking about just hacking systems, you know, and, and defending systems, but we're also talking about how, for instance, encrypted chat mechanisms help, um, let's say, uh, politically, uh, political minority groups uh, defend themselves against um, adverse governments. Um, without getting you know, too much into politics. So, so that really drives me forward where I see digital as an enabler for equalization. So this is really interesting because we were just talking about in the last couple of episodes how cybersecurity affects almost every part of people's lives. And you know, part of people's lives they wouldn't even imagine. We just had a, an episode a, couple, uh, a few weeks ago about how cybersecurity forensics and computer forensics uh, affect the outcome of murder investigations, which affects so many people's lives in such a deep way. And, yeah. you know, you're talking here about the, you know, the political climate and the political turmoil and, and, and geopolitical uh, issues that are going on across the globe and how cybersecurity plays into them. And it's just um, really amazing when you think about it. We could just talk about it forever. I mean, um, yeah, yeah, and this is the thing, and I like what, 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 you know, this is one of the things with my boardroom stuff, you know, I, I hate groupthink in general. So, you know, the group thing, you know, in the end doesn't move you forward. So in a way, by having, you know, you, you know, there's negative stuff about social media, but there's also positive stuff because it gives people a voice that didn't have a voice before. And it doesn't mean that you have to agree with their voice, but at least they have a chance to voice right. their opinion. So with all this going on, you have all these emerging technologies being introduced into the marketplace and you have all these other influences, you have regulatory influences, you have technology yes. influences, uh, social media. Where, where do you think the field's going? Like, where are we going to go in the future with cybersecurity? Yeah, so, so this is where some of my connections might not make feel like, like I'm doing them a favor, but um, AI is not going to save us. <laughs> um, yeah, right. What, 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 what is currently AI is, is not, um, um, let's say, um, real AI uh, is just... You know, 
Yeah, the term is being thrown around so yes, uh, yes, you know, liberally. I mean, I'm watching commercials on TV with, oh, you know, we're using, and some of the biggest companies too, and I'm not going to name the company, but I was watching yeah. a commercial the other day. It's like AI is going to, you know, say, what are you talking about? That's not even artificial intelligence. That's not. What does that yeah, mean? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and this is the funny part as well. You know, yeah. you have, um, you know, stuff where, you know, like, again, I'm not going to name companies, but they go like, oh, yeah, this algorithm, because it uses this this kind of, like, algorithm, means that if 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 this is quite common, then we're not going to show this to you. So yeah. then it's like, okay, that I, I get it. You know, old school security operation centers don't work anymore. But now you have a tool that, basically decides to not show you certain data. So, but you're not actually in your terms and conditions are so gonna guarantee that, that, that I'm actually safe now. Right. Um, so, so AI is a enabler as in a augmentation, uh, but that shouldn't be the judge and in, 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 in executioner. Um, I don't think it's, it's ready for this. I'm not saying it's not gonna happen. Um, but, but yeah, it, it, it's not gonna, yeah, um, be the game changer that some people might like, like it to be, um, which is not great because of course, you know, we still have a cybersecurity shortage of, 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 of talent coming in and then the problem also people leaving the profession because of burnout and, and such. Yep. Yep. So look, Mark, we got to transition into a commercial break here, but stick with us folks. Lots more to come on this episode of Task Force 7 Radio. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with a special guest, cybersecurity author, mentor, and board advisor, Mr. Mark DeRyke. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio. The voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology 
to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover life cycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or google signet s-i-n-e-t have you friended us on facebook yet why not just go to facebook.com forward slash voice america or search for the keywords voice america once you are part of our facebook network you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows this week's featured guests and new happenings at the voice america talk radio network and you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline just go to facebook.com forward slash voice america or search for voice america You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. security. We're back with our special guest, author, speaker, mentor, and board advisor, Mr. Mark DeRike. So, Mark, we've been talking about uh, cybersecurity insurance on the show quite a bit, and this is sort of a, a uh, I guess, a newer product in, in the cybersecurity space that a lot of people are, are grasping on. And I think, you know, some of the, the things when we talk about cybersecurity insurance is how do you really value uh, what the insurance policy should be, how much people should pay, and how much people companies should insure for, and all these types of things. And you know, the algorithms that are going out there to try to figure that out. So I, what do you say about cybersecurity insurance and where it's going in the industry? Well, of course, so what it is, is that before with, with, with the cybersecurity insurance, when initially came to market, it was like kind of like brought to, you know, potential clients as a, you know, uh, just get a policy. And then if a breach comes along, uh, if you do the, ba- the, the bare minimum, then, then, you know, we'll make your pain go away. <clears throat> and of course, uh, then uh, insurance kind of discovered that the actuary models or the, you know, the damage models, if you want to call it, um, for cybersecurity is, is way more dynamic than it is for um, yeah, conventional models like you know fire insurance or, or, or theft. Um, so then, um, you know, the next step is of course that that cybersecurity companies then was like. Oh yeah, we need to um, build our own data models uh, based on, on previously available data. So then, two problems came along: is that uh, a it was really really expensive to find data science talent um, uh, to staff it, and then uh, the problem was is that there was not a lot of detailed data available. 
Um, and then um, they kind of like realized that, uh, oh yeah, the underwriting, uh, the models that we use to, to clarify and, and classify whether somebody can get a policy um, are not up to standard. So yeah, that, that ends up with a mess where you now have clients that, that had policies where then the insurer goes, oh yeah, by the way, um, and this is an act of war, so this is not covered. Um, but also you have other events where then the insurer went, okay, but yeah, you didn't do X or Y. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of fine print there. I agree. Look, it's just like your regular home policy when you have a water break and you you know you call the insurance company. You go, well, that's not covered. So no, no, act of God no or, it's a, you know, yeah. a rock hit the pipe or something. You know, it's crazy, right? It's just, but the same. That what you're, I, I think you're, you're, what you're saying is the same thing happens in the cybersecurity industry space. I mean, do you think this is going to be a problem, or I mean, people understand it already. Uh, people understand. Well, so so, so what, what's happening is that initially, so what happened is that some interwriters then started looking at like, you know, suppliers like a security scorecard.com uh, to, to assess, um, help assess. But then the problem is, is with such founders is that they look at the external facing um, yeah, um, attack uh, surface and then it's only limited because of course um, they want to provide a score and that that score has to be comparable to different organizations so you can see how well you're doing so that score will never involve all of your attack surface then of course they're not looking at at that internal how you're set up and you know for instance do you have things like incident response plans in place um so yeah that 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 has become a yeah yeah hard area in that sense. Um, so what happened now is that of course the insurers now are working together with um, big four consultancies and such to then uh, assess um, before the facts and then and um, yeah, give a potential client saying okay right. you can do X or Y. Yeah, yep. the quality of the assessment and the speed of the assessment obviously is key into making sure that you offer a quality product and a service where people are gonna you know, cling on to, and that's sort of sticky in the industry and, and, and catch on. So look, I'm going to jump around a little bit here because I got a lot to uh, ask you. So if you don't mind, um, no, I'm just no, going to no, ask no, you a bunch no, of different no, questions no. on a bunch of different topics. I mean, how do you feel uh, about some of the assumptions that are made in, in cybersecurity? What do you feel are some of the correct or, or I should say incorrect assumptions in, well, in, in, I think in the cybersecurity that, industry right now? Yes. So so I think one one was that that's finally changing is that um, cybersecurity is a technology issue that that's definitely changing. Uh, a lot of people agree now it's a people issue. Uh, if you change it's the culture, a people issue. I yes. mean, that's, that, see, that's a really important statement here because I, I got to tell you, we've been sounding the alarm on this, and this is what this is one of the reasons why we think people are leaving the industry. Yes, right? they're very frustrated with the leadership, the decisions that are being made. And especially some of the younger folks just don't understand, you know, uh, I mean, getting their orders on Monday morning, their marching orders, and then I'll see you next week. That doesn't work for these people. No, 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 exactly. And so, and this is the thing with, 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 you know, if you have an organization and you don't actively have the mandate to go out and work with the rest of the organization, then you end up being an organization that just delivers a lot of uh, blinky boxes. Uh, as I like to call it. Mark, do you think that these companies are putting the right people in these C-level positions? Well, it's, it's not like even a question of, 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 of the right people, but also sometimes where, the, you know, the, 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 the CISO is actually not at the actual CISO, uh, at the C-level. Um, so you have, 
reporting lines that that uh, then potentially change uh, the actual reported data to the to the board. Um, so of course, as a board member, if you don't get uh, the, the actual you know story that that, that was reported, then um, yeah, that that becomes a problem. Unfortunately, there's examples of that uh, where the CISO was not um, uh, at the C level, um, was reporting to a, a CFO or a CIO, and then what was reported uh, to the actual board was uh, completely different from from what was reported by the CISO. Um, so process improvement in business acumen and communications, these are like, yes. you know, essential, right, to the success of the organization, not just, you know, whether we buy on the right technology or not. <laughs> no, no, no. And then also... There's a big problem in and of itself, though, not to, not to short that. I mean, that's a huge issue. Along yeah, the and then the problem also with that is that if, if, if we keep doing that, then um, we kind of like lose our mandate and respect because we keep pushing you know, hefty investments that then don't deliver any return on security or return on investment. Um, so you end up, um, you know, getting to a situation where instead of moving from, from the basement and security to, to a, a, a place uh, at the same level uh, uh, of, of, of the office as the rest of the boardroom or C-level, uh, you get the situation where you might actually end up being soft demoted where you still have the title, but people just zone out when you start talking because you're not actually delivering business value. Right. So how do you feel the use of cloud has changed the cybersecurity posture of organizations now? We have all these emerging technologies. We mentioned AI. I want to talk to you a little bit about the cloud. What do you think? Yes. So, so clouds, because of the shared responsibility model, which, which a lot of people will know about, uh, <coughs> a lot of it's, means that uh, depending on what you do, if you do IS or PaaS or SaaS, um, a lot of responsibilities then uh, belong to uh, the cloud provider or the service provider. But and this is the but. Just because you move to the cloud doesn't mean that 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 security then no longer is required. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of um, organizations you still have to explain that moving to the cloud doesn't mean that they have no responsibility for the security of their workloads in the cloud, uh, which is a, a, a sad realization in a way. How do you think, you know, shared responsibility is all about trust. Do you yes. think that trust is there with the cloud providers right now? I mean, and, and, and the models are there to share information at the appropriate times. Right. Right? To, to be fair, well, what organizations are currently doing themselves. I don't think there's a lot of organizations um, in a position to be able to really point much at the club. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm trying to be political here. Um, right, right. Um, so I'm not saying cloud providers can't do more, you know, for instance, like, you know, with S3 buckets and, and being publicly readable and such. I really think that from the get-go, their wording should have been more... Yeah, let's say for both. Um, but um, I'm, yeah, the, the, there's also still plenty of organizations where it's then still left up to um, developers to, to, to do their own stuff. Um, and then uh, you end up in situations where it's all about delivering the new release and then and security then becomes afterthought, unfortunately. Right, right. How about, how about the government's role in cybersecurity? Where do we stand well, with them? 
Well, yeah, this is, I think, a global issue, and, and which is also, of course, you know, one of the big problems. I, I'd love to get my teeth in, but <laughs> I'm not Barack Obama or something. Um, so it's one of those things where um, governments also outside intelligence agencies, which have, of course, a, um, yeah, the, the, their respect and reputation is slightly different depending on, on how far they seem respected by the average citizen. But the average government is quite naive when it comes to how much they depend on digital uh, infrastructure. Um, so governments themselves really should have more competent advisors that they source from the industry to have the ability to offer uh, critical questions and not have, for instance, like we all saw with Facebook where and there's an inquiry and, 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 and basically um, a, the, the, the questions um, gets um, um, provided by, by a system, which is one thing, but then there's no actual SME to check for them whether those questions they're asking are actually making any sense and whether the answer they get, they can actually, um, yeah, uh, uh, go through through the answer and then make sense of the answer and then and this is a, it's one of those things where as a government you have to be almost willing to be vulnerable and say you know what um, this expertise is not necessarily in the government these people we can't necessarily bring in as a full-time basis uh, but we need to have uh, almost like a, a reserve force of, 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 of SMEs in the digital space in general where they can help us move the needle um, economy-wise as well, because it's not just a security issue, it's, it's the economy issue as well. Uh, we can't, as, 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 a, as a nation, you can't ignore how the digital economy is, is uh, uh, bending incumbents all over the world, really. Yeah, I think, you know, having that, you said, you used the word reserve, which I think was pretty interesting. When I was over at JPMorgan Chase, we used these quick reaction teams. We created these QRTs. And we uh, basically just cross-trained a lot of people. And a lot of people already had the skill sets, the cybersecurity skill sets needed to do the job in cybersecurity domains. And then they moved into other domains like, you know, credit card investigations and other things like that. So we, what we did is we kept them sort of on standby and we had these hot and cold rooms. And we were able to scale really, really fast. Right? Yes. We were to go for just, for instance, from like 10 to like 30 uh, forensic specialists and within 24 hours and, and get up hot and running you know, to do and handle any kind of major crisis, like the big London whale investigation, where we started just acquiring tons and tons of data for our investigation very, very fast. It was one of the largest yes. investigations in the private sector. And, and this is kind of what you're talking about, I feel. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because there's going to be plenty of senior professionals. And this is the thing as well, we're coming back to the burnout, where you get a lot of senior professionals that feel they reached a certain impasse in their career. And those are the things that, that might help keep people in the profession so they can mentor new people coming in because they feel as a um, subject matter expert and not as a manager, but as a subject matter expert, they also have a quote-unquote career path because they can then go on to advising government um, and, 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 and non-profits and such. Um, but, but it's... It, I'm not aware of, of large-scale programs to do that, uh, which is, uh, I think, is sad because um, 
in general, not just in the US, but around the world, um, I think that would be helpful to keep senior talents within the, within the profession as well. And it helps the government in the end. Yep, yep. I want to ask you a little bit about uh, basic cyber hygiene. And I think a lot of the high profile breaches that we've seen over the last few years are a direct result of some basic hygiene failures. But, yes. you know, but, but, you know, obviously we've had some sophisticated actors out there too. Uh, very sophisticated Our adversaries are, are quite um, intelligent and complex and motivated uh, by a, a variety of different factors. But how do you feel about the focus on ATPs versus basic cyber hygiene and some of these? Well, um, again, I'm trying to be political here. If you are the target of ATP, then um, how should I say it? Then you are not 95% of all organizations. For 95% of all organizations, if, if a breach happens, that's not normally to an ATP, that's to some basic stuff that they didn't do where you still have organizations, if you look and show them, like, you know, like the open the, the search engine online, which are, a lot of people know, um, there's still organizations, plenty of organizations that keep uh, remote desktop uh, uh, protocol ports open to the internet or their own patch or... Uh, um, they get wiped out through ransomware because, yeah, oh, yeah, backups. Uh, yeah, we don't want to pay for backups because, yeah, that's a lot of money. Um, so, you know, you don't want to get too cynical, but there is way too much focus on, on shiny stuff or, uh, you know, interesting threat actor groups that really only matter for 5% of, of the organization in the world. And, of course, that 5% are can be you know, off with, with percentage-wise, but most organizations, when they get breached, is not through an ATP actor. It's it's more, you know, the everyday um, yeah, vulnerability uh, where, for instance, they go like, oh, yeah, we had a vulnerability. We are aware of it. It was disclosed, but, yeah, we didn't do it, but it's something we did for one year. All right, Mark, you know, I got to take a short break uh, to hear from our sponsors, but stick with us because I want to get back on the next uh, segment to talk about uh, increased diversity in the workforce and getting youth and women back into the industry and everything. I want to talk to you a lot about mentoring and, and how we educate our folks. So don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from our special guest, author and cybersecurity mentor, Mark DeRay. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology 
to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover life cycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Sinet S-I-N-E-T Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, cybersecurity advisor and author, Mark DeWright. So, Mark, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the people issue in, in this segment of the show, and I want to talk a little bit about education and, and, uh, and talent and things like that. So, I want to get your thoughts on some cybersecurity certifications, not specific certifications, but, well, maybe, maybe specific certifications. I mean, I, I, I want to get your ideas about the value of them and if people should be pursuing them and Sometimes I see people loaded up with like nine certifications and I got to think to myself, well, wait a minute, you know, I mean, anyway, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so, so, so cybersecurity certifications for me have a time and place for me, as in uh, there's a you know, time when it makes sense, um, but it depends on what it is. I particularly have a, a problem, quote unquote, with a vendor certification. I've been on that end myself where... I used to work for an MSSP and, um, you know, every vendor had one or multiple certifications um, and you end up really learning marketing answers, really, to be honest, where you go to a lot of stuff where um, basically, you know, you have a lot of sentences in, in the courseware where it's like uh, – this works great because we company X are great um, in, in different ways written. So um, a lot of that knowledge can be condensed. And then the problem also is, is why I don't like vendor certifications is because then that, that is 
uh, sometimes used as gatekeeping because somebody will go like, oh yeah, we're looking for people with, with, with uh, firewall vendor X um, experience and certification. And then you go like, but I've worked with 18 other vendors. Um, I can do this. So just give me a manual and get this done. No, it needs to be vendor X. And you go like, well, this is you know unnecessary gatekeeping and that's keeping people out of positions. They, they, they can provide value. Um, but yeah, so there is a time and place where it makes sense. And I also understand from an HR hiring perspective, it sometimes makes sense because if you're dealing with, 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 with a complex field, sometimes it, it, yeah, for HR, it will be easy to say, okay, just tell me which certifications and then you know, we'll send on those resumes. But Mark, but do you, you, you think that companies actually, the HR departments know like what to hire? I mean, you mentor folks and you know, you're helping people navigate the career. I, do you feel like HR departments know no, what to look for? No, no, no they don't. <laughs> yeah. That, that's my experience. So then, of course, that's where the certification also comes in, where they go like, oh, you know, we need to hire CISP uh, for a junior analyst. And you go like, well, you don't need a CISP for a junior analyst. Not, you know, not even getting into why, you know, I, yeah, CISP is, is an issue or not. Um, it's, it's just um, keeping people out of positions that they can provide value in the end. If we didn't have a shortage, I'd be like, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, there is as a, um, you know, a, a motivation to say or, you know, a narrative to say, okay, we should do more gatekeeping. But let's not do gatekeeping if, if we were trying to make organizations more diverse uh, bring people in um, and, and, and then solve the shortage um, and, and and eliminate group thing. And how much of this so, is just so pure that, laziness, though? I mean, you know, on the part of the hiring managers where they just don't want to put any effort into uh, training anybody and getting them up to speed. They want the person to come in speaking the language of the business right out of the gate. They want them to know everything that, you know, every proprietary tool even that they use. They're like, okay, well, we, you know, I see in these descriptions job descriptions, the names of proprietary tools that no one knows even what they mean. Oh, yeah. And then you know, I have so, like, I don't understand yeah. that, the whole thing. I mean, you're going to use this, you're going to use that. Yeah, right, yeah. But that, it's proprietary. How's someone going to use it? Only your company yes. uses it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or I, I've even seen worse where it's like the versions. And then I go like, I, I've never been a pen tester, pen tester, quote unquote. Um, but I go like, oh, thank, thank you for providing me your attack service. I, I just literally have to <laughs> Uh, for vendor X, this version. Oh, by the way, I have a vulnerability. Um, uh, so you go like, oh, you know, like don't provide that information. Right, you right. Know? So I, many times on the other end as well, I go like, yeah, if you're looking for people, then, you know, say firewalls and then don't say you're using checkpoints version, I don't know, 5.1. Um, because, yeah, people literally use that and actually write parses to, to parse uh, um, job specs and then use those, those those job specs against you to attack your organization. And because you have the job opening, it means that you don't have anyone to defend because you just thought you said you're looking for somebody. Um, that's the other end. Um, slightly off track. Um, but yeah, um, I think it's also because HR departments, of course, have multiple departments to deal with. So if you then give them kind of like an easy way out saying, oh, this is a certification that could be handy, then, you know, from an HR perspective, I mean, like, okay, if, if this department is giving us easier checkboxes, quote-unquote, then, yeah, you can't really blame them for, for taking their route. So I want to talk a little bit about the youth and, and trying to get young people in, in the cybersecurity space. 
I want to get your you know ideas about how do we attract young people into the space. And I'm I see in high schools now that they have these you know uh, technology labs where kids can go in and learn about technology, and, and in some cases cybersecurity specifically. I know that you know the the Girl Scouts have a great program uh, to attract uh, you know young females into the space. Um, where are we with this? I mean, are we on the right direction? Are we are we you know are we in the right path here? <laughs> We still need to do way more, to right. be honest. Um, and again, it's like I think it's in the end it starts with the top. You know, it starts with government. If if governments don't realize how much a the, the, the economy already is about anything digital, and how much in the future it will be, they would then they should use that you know as direction to emphasize more. STEM studies in general, and then also let's be honest that as a industry or IT in general, um, we also have a lot of dead bodies that we need to get rid of when it comes to misogyny and, and, and such, because uh, unfortunately there's too many um, women that, that that did enter the fields that that then left the field because they couldn't deal uh, with the treatment in the field. Um, so it's one of those things where. It needs to be managed better, uh, as in setting realistic expectations on, on what it is, but also making uh, a potential career fun, quote unquote, without painting the image that everyone is pen testing and constantly breaking into uh, the NSA or CIA. Uh, because so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a good host unless I asked the follow-up question about what you just said in terms of women leaving the field because of the treatment that they received here in, yes. in this industry. I, I have to ask you, do you think the treatment of, of women here in this industry is worse than other um, uh, spaces? I mean, do you think specifically there's a problem in cybersecurity as opposed to uh, other industries where there's not a problem? Well, I, I don't know. I might be unpopular when I say that, but I think in our industry, in IT, I'm not talking specifically cybersecurity, but IT, um, I think the problem is bigger. Uh, because there, there's going to be people in, in the industry that have worked in a all-mill department uh, for a long time, uh, might have some, uh, let's say, social issues. Um, but yeah, I have, I have to be careful what I say there. But um, it's just one of those things where if you're used to growing up a, a, a let's say, diverse environments, as in minorities and all genders, then it's one thing. But if you, for instance, have been strictly in a male environment, gaming, whatever, all the stereotypes, um, and, and not been as, as outgoing because you've just been focused on computers, uh, that's, that's quite a change you need to make and then also what's happening is that the industry itself is becoming more social. So I think there's also people that feel like I didn't need to do this before. So why should I change? Um, but again, it, it gets very political very fast, unfortunately. You know, it's interesting, George. I wonder if, if uh, you know, Mark talked a little bit about the, the soft skills for him are not technical, right, uh, or are technical, you know. So 
I, I do wonder if there's a balance here between, you know, the personalities of folks within IT that related to like anxiety, social interaction, and then, you know, if they have that, let's say in a male dominated environment, if they are having a hard time just interacting with their peers who are male, and then all of a sudden, you know, now they want to interact with, with, you know, another gender, it's, uh, you know, it creates more anxiety for them. And I wonder how much of that is like tied to this and like a lack of maturity in folks. Um, it's curious, right. To see, and it's not right, obviously, but I'm curious to see how much of it is tied to the types of personalities uh, within, within. Yeah, like the, the lack of interpersonal skills and social yeah. skills in the space actually contributes more to the problem. Right. And yeah, exactly. I think <laughs> Yeah, and let's be honest, you know, in the past, you know, we, you know, like not to, you know, go back to all the stereotypes, but but uh, a lot of us were sitting in in the in the, the basement floor of the building, and then uh, you know people realized that it's really important. They started moving up. But that doesn't mean that some people might have learned how to, um, yeah, um, have. Um, conversations um, so what I mean is with that is that if you have been in a situation where you didn't necessarily get a listening ear before and you never practiced that uh, then it's, it's one of those things that it might be hard for you and so what I did to be fair you know like I'm still working on it is when I was young I actually started working as a bartender volunteer in a jazz club in Holland um, because I was like, you know, I, these soft skills are my hard skills. <laughs> As in, if I don't improve, then I'm going to be a part of the problem and not part of the solution. That's the uh, mature way to handle it, Mark, right? You know, and that, that's not consistent right across you know, our peer group. No, no, I get that. And to be fair, like I said, you know, I'm, 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 I'm good at self-reflecting nowadays. It's like some days, you know, yeah. I, I still have those. Really anybody though, Mark, really anybody, I think, like you said, like, you know, that, that self-reflection is difficult, um, yeah. no matter what, you know, it's just a human experience really. And, and a matter of having the emotional intelligence to, to, you know, yeah, and, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. And having two daughters as well, you know, it's one of those things where I'm even more acutely aware of, of why it needs to change mm -hmm. because, um, you know, for instance, like one daughter wants to be an astronaut. I know it's a different area, but it's still, you know, uh, uh, yeah, highly technical. So, um, paraphrasing that or moving that to 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 cybersecurity, um, uh, you know, you have to ask, like, okay, do you want your daughter to go into a field where you know there might be some people? And I'm not saying it's everyone; it's some people. Uh, that that might not be that open to it. So as a society, we need to change in in general to make it more equal. Uh, not just about pay, but but about equal opportunities. So it's not just about diversity, but it's about equal representation. Mark, well, we're talking a lot about when the decisions you made when you were young, and you, you know your daughters and what you're telling them, and and how you're parenting them. What would you say to your younger self if you had the chance? Uh, don't be afraid to speak up if you think something's wrong. That's just my main thing. Um, I, 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 and again, reflecting um, in my first job, um, they called me the coffin <laughs> and I can chuckle it now, but basically I said hi in the morning and I said bye in the afternoon and that was it. 
which is exactly why I started working in a jazz club as a bartender. I was volunteer because I was like, oh, uh, yeah, you know, I can laugh about it now, but that's actually not good. So you, you actually became a, you, you got a job as a bartender to actually so work on your social. It was volunteer or? actually. Yeah. 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 So it was a volunteer position. So I worked in the second largest jazz club in, 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 in the Netherlands. And um, I basically, uh, I was a bartender uh, in the weekends. Um, um, so I had to do night shifts to get uncomfortable, but also I organized jazz festivals and meet with uh, um, jazz artists. So I met a lot of American people over time. Mark, and last question. Yes. What, you know, you, you got a lot of amazing things going on in your life and you're trying to tackle really big problems and come up with big solutions and affect the lives of many people. What, what do you want to leave as your legacy? So that, that, that's very simple. I'm going to try to summarize in one sentence. If, some, if everyone can explain why security is important. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you having on. I want to have you back. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I hope I brought some value to your listeners. If anybody has any questions in any area, mentoring or whatever, I can be found on Twitter as well. My DMs are always open. So, yeah. Thanks a lot, Mark. I appreciate it. Thank All you. right, folks, it's time to bounce up out of here. Before we go, I remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 